Okay, so today is Omens, Oracles, and Execrations in the Bible and in the Surrounding World, Part 3. And I'm just going to, I'm trying a diff, I got an upgrade and I'm trying a different view on my PowerPoint. If the PowerPoint explodes, I'll just set it back. So please don't worry about that. It might happen. Who knows? Okay, so what people have been asking me all along is, what does that mean, execration? So, I went to the dictionary. It flew in, I like that. Okay, the definition of execration, the act of cursing, denounce, or denouncing, also the curse or so uttered, and the same thing like oracle can be the, the, the thing said or uh, where it is, etc. Um, an object of curses or something to test. So, this little mud guy, unpublished, unpublished, no photographs of this. There are about 10 of these in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and these, they're called mud tags. Uh, these are execrations. These have execration texts written on them. The next one is really by far the most famous execration text, and here you can see the text, right, in a much better way. But you can see that the little mud man is very similar in that it's a rudimentary head and a body where you could put a text. What you do with these is you write out a list of locations, most frequently they're locations, most especially in Egypt, and then you shatter them. So it's almost something like, just as this happens to this, so will it happen to all the people of. Excuse me. And this is a very, very famous one because this is the first recognition that we have, not recognition is the wrong word, the first uh, writing that we have of um, Megiddo. And in this execration text, it's rather long, but they're all basically the same. It, it just repeats itself with different locations. I'll read them to you in a second. Um, is the first time that we have the name of the site of Megiddo. But it's very, very old. It's Old Kingdom Egypt. It's not the Megiddo of, you know, inhabitants of our time period are being the biblical time period, but it is the same site. So <clears throat> it, also, it, you know, it also says things like, the ruler of Cush, Anu, born of so-and-so, and all stricken ones who are with him, the ruler of Westbet, Westbet uh, born of somebody else, born to all stricken ones who are with him. And then it's just, I mean, it's, this is, it's a three-page list. Okay, you don't really want me to read out all the place names, okay? but I brought it to you. This is, turns into a three-page list of place names, and all it is is the name of the ruler, and you know, born of, and the place, and then you smash it. We don't have other things that go along with it. We don't know what the rituals are that go with these execrations. But there is a concept within the magic of the ancient world, and even within the Bible, that words and actions go together. Right? And we do this on some level as well. You know, uh, cross, you know, kids will cross their fingers, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, that sort of thing. Words and actions work together. You have it in the Bible with oaths. When you swear, there's a, something that they call oath by thigh, right? The pachat yitzchak, where you put the hand under the thigh, and thigh also means foot, and we know what foot means in the Bible, right? And it's a euphemism, thigh is one of the ways that you say male genitals. 
and you're grabbing onto that, so you're swearing by something that is most precious, right? Well, testimony works that way, right? Because testimony, women can't testify because they don't have anything that they can swear by in testimony. We all figured that one out, right? Testimony is related to testes. And you have a word and an action that go together. There are more of these execrations uh, in Egypt. This one is, I took this picture just, well, it's two, two pictures there. Just about, oh, I was gonna say two weeks ago, but I've been here for two weeks. So two weeks before I came here, I took it the Christmas week, because uh, this is surreptitiously, because you're not allowed to take pictures in the special exhibits at the Met. So it's a little fuzzy, because it was on my, you know, my iPad. Uh, but here is an execration, and I took the side here, because you can see, see the, uh, the way the arm is, like that? It's almost like a triangle? Because he's bound together at the elbows, because this is a prisoner. So just as he is bound, just as he is defeated, so will the enemies of so-and-so be defeated, etc. That's not broken or smashed, though. No. Well, it is. This is, see? Okay. Right? But he's bound up. Okay? So it's just as he has been. And these are smashed pots with execrations, right? Because you take them and, again, you smash them. We don't have the whole pots. They haven't found the whole pots. This is Middle Kingdom. Okay, now we have this stuff in the Bible as well. Okay, this is an oracle from the nation, against the nations, an oracle to the nations uh, from the book of Amos. The words of Amos, the sheep breeder from Tekoa who prophesied concerning Israel in the reigns of Uzziah of Judah and Yerovam, the son of Yoash of Israel. I can't pronounce their names in English. Two years before the earthquake, he proclaimed... The Lord roars from Zion, shouts aloud from Jerusalem, and the pastures of shepherds shall languish, and the summit, the summit of Carmel shall wither. Thus says the Lord, for the three transgressions of Damascus, before I will not revoke it, because they threshed Gilead with threshing boards of iron, I will send down fire upon the palace of Hazael, and I shall devour the fortress of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bars of Damascus and wipe out the inhabitants from the Vale of Aven and the scepter ruler of Beit Aden and the people of Aram shall be exiled to Kir. And the Lord, said the Lord, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Azov, of four I will not revoke it. And it goes on and on. You have any number of them, the, the ones in Amos continue on. There, there are seven of them in this pericope. In Jeremiah, you have them as well. The word which the Lord spoke to the prophet Jeremiah about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, I picked this one in particular because it was last week's Haftarah. Right? There are many of them, but this is the Haftarah from Parshat Bo, so I figured, what the heck, if I had to pick one, I might as well pick one that was timely to us. Right? Um, and it was my Haftarah portion. I can chant it for you if you want because I still remember it. Um, <laughs> um, uh, the word which the Lord spoke to the prophet Jeremiah about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar uh, of Babylon to attack the land of Egypt. Declare in Egypt to proclaim in Migdol, proclaim in Nof and Tafpanchets. Say, take your posts and stand ready, for the sword has devoured all around you. Why are your stalwarts swept away? They did not stand firm, for the Lord thrust them down. He made many stumble. They fell over one another. They said, up, let us return to our people, to the land of our birth, because of the deadly sword. There they called Pharaoh king of Egypt, braggart, who let the hour go by. As I live, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Surely as Tabor is among the mountains and Carmel is by the sea, so, this, 
So shall this come to pass. Equip yourself for exiles, fair Egypt, you who dwell secure, for no shall become a waste, desolate without inhabitants. So you see this sort of as a prophetic utterance, right? but it's uttered in the name of God, and these are oracles against the nations. Every prophet, I just gave you a couple of them here, every prophet has them except Hosea. Right? Hosea is the only named prophet in, we're not talking about Elijah, you know, Elisha and Elijah, but a prophet with a prophetic book. Right? Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, Haggai, um, Joel, Obadiah. Right? They all have oracles against the nations, some more, some fewer, where it's God, through the voice of the prophet, sending out a list of what is going to happen. They have different um, purposes in the Bible. Right? So the, for example, the one that I read you in Amos goes through everything and all the, we call them the, the, the Syria-Palestinian states in the area, right? all the, the surrounding city-states. And then the second to last one is about Israel, because it's a divided kingdom. The last one is about Judah. And it's basically considered a rallying, a rallying cry Look at what God is going to go do to them because they were bad. And the people are going, yeah, 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 God will do it, God will do it. And then Amos turns around and says, and as for you, right, you were just as bad. And God will do this to you as well if you don't shape up, right? Otherwise, you're going to have to ship out. Right? The way I sort of sum up Amos in one sentence is die yuppie scum. Right? because they became uh, complacent in what they were doing, and then we get these oracles to pull it together. In Jeremiah, they have more of a political message. But again, we have these, and they're very much like the execrations, only they're used differently. One of the things that it dawned on me when I was talking last night that um, I haven't made clear, and it's 100% it's on me, is that when I'm showing you things and discussing things from the surrounding cultures, we are getting glimpses of real life in the surrounding cultures. We are getting glimpses of their literature, of their mythology, but we're also getting glimpses of their material culture. We're getting glimpses of what the people actually are doing, what they're actually thinking, what they actually have amongst their household goods, so to speak. We have virtually nothing from biblical Israel. We have a text that presents, and it presents ideas, and it presents attitudes, and it presents what should be, which is not always what is. Now, we have bits and pieces. It's not to say we have nothing. I've shown you any number of things that come from Israelite territory. right? But we don't have the same amount of things. So we have the Egyptian execrations. We know to some extent how they were used. We have a parallel type of text in the Bible. We only know them in a literary construct. Nod? Yeah, of course. The question is, why okay. don't we have these from the Israelites? There's two answers, right? OK, the one answer is we haven't found them yet. Yes. We don't have them, right? We don't. I mean, what, look. All you can say is we do not have them. Filled with 
everything else. Right, right. right? The land is filled with everything else. And Take the land that. is, okay. If the world is 5,766, 76, okay. 67, 76, whatever. If it's, if it's just about 6,000, can, can we agree on that one? If it's a 6,000 years old, what are we doing about the dinosaurs? We have dinosaur bones. I'm, you know, I'm gonna maybe tomorrow go to the La Brea tar pits and we have bones there, right? That, that <laughs> well, okay, I had students at the Jewish Theological Seminary who had problems with this concept, and so I said, didn't you ever go to the Museum of Natural History, you know, just a mile that way, right? And he said, well, they're all models. And I said, yes, they are. They're models of the bones that are in the basement, because they're too, they are, they're plaster molds, because they're too heavy to hang up. <coughs> and he, he was just fixated on they were models because what we have of the bones were put according to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and according to many, you know, ultra-Orthodox, not that the Hasidim were Orthodox, um, they're put there to trick us and to test our faith, right? So that's one of the answers for why we don't have anything. But we have, once we get to the historical time period, once we get to, say, the 8th and 7th century BCE, right? 6th century BCE, we start to get a lot of things. Right? Once we get into the real history, we start to get a lot of things. If you look at, let's just go back, oh, wrong way. Right. Look, the words of Amos, sheep reader from Tekoa, who prophesied concerning, the reign, uh, concerning Israel and the reigns of Uzziah, king of Judah, and Yeroboam, the son of Yoash of Israel, two years before the, the earthquake. Now, time with Neharash. We call this a triple dating formula. By the time you get to the 8th century, you can put it on a, on a, uh, a grid, on a timeline. Right? He, he was prophesying here, when, when this guy was king here, you know, when, when this person was governor here, and this person was governor here, so whatever those overlapping years were, two years before the earthquake. So two years before the blizzard of you know, 1988 or 1888 or whatever the hell that was. Right? You can put it on a time frame. So we do get history. Once we get into the real historical period, we start to have more things, but we don't really have a lot of daily life uh, things. We, and we don't even have daily life descriptions, right? So yesterday I was showing uh, oil lamps and the like, the Roman oil lamps that were kind of interesting. They were kind of erotic. They, each one had a couple having intercourse. Not only don't we have things like that, I mean, we do have some oil lamps. We only have one description of a house, of what a house might look like when um, a woman builds a room, a guest house, in effect, for uh, Alicia. She furnishes it with a, a, a lampstand, a menorah, a table, and a bed. Only reference to bed like that. We don't know what rooms look like. Right? We do have some idea of what they look like in other places. We don't have that information. Is that enough of an answer for you? Sure. What, 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 what answer did you want? You no, wanted me to say? Had, well, Bill Deaver was here many years ago, and he presented um, statues that he's or uh, yeah. idols that he said that were found all around Israel. Yeah. And they're the Asherah, and they were in every house. And I thought he said they were from early Jewish history, 
I don't know how early. So no, he, what he what he said is that. Um, what he said is that they are Canaanite, and we don't know. It's what and I was talking about this last week because he, sh the, the, the the bell figures that I showed last Tuesday, a week ago Tuesday, are the same ones that he was talking about. We don't know what they are. They are not labeled as anything. They are just those bell figurines. Right? One assumes that they could be Ashtoret, or they could be Ashira. Or they could be fertility figures. Right? They can be. They can be anything. We don't know what they are. There's absolutely. There's no. There's no writing with them. So when you find something without writing, it's one of the one of the key ways of doing things. It's great. One of the key ways of doing things, when you go through a museum and you see a label that says clearly ritual object. Okay, what does that mean? We don't have, we don't have a clue. Okay, that's what it means. Every, almost every museum label that says clearly a, a ritual object, unless we know for sure, it means we don't know. It's archeological code. Yeah. So it's a way of doing history. And for instance, when we first- Is this a question or a no, statement? I just Yes, but this is also, this is a redacted text that's just telling the story it wants to tell. Right, that's what this is. The Bible is a redacted text, it's the anthology of Israelite literature telling a story that it wants to tell. And many of us have been with me for a number of, of talks and we've seen um, stories from the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm gonna bring another one in on Sunday. Right? Those are contemporary, they are not included. Right? It's stories, it's the stories that they want to tell the way they want to tell it. Now I have to move forward. Yeah? Um, the execration objects of the dolls that you showed that you know, were being smashed, yeah. it, how do we know that, that Israelites at the time were using that? We don't know that Israelites, no, 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 no. First of, all, first of all, we know that the Israelites were, were practicing idolatry. There's no question about that. Okay, we, we, I mean, the Bible tells you that, right? The Bible tells you that there's, didn't we do this last week? That the Bible tells us that there's idolatry in the, the temple, right? So, and if it's in the temple, what does that mean? Does it mean that it's not accepted or it is accepted? I'm gonna make you say this. Kyla, I'm gonna make you say it. Yes, yes, yes. Of course not, okay? But the, but the text in 2 Kings 23, for those of us who weren't here last week, says that this is what was going on. And it was going on for hundreds of years. If it's going on in the temple, it means it's approved. This is the Jerusalem temple. This is not a temple out in the hinterlands, okay? This is, and it's not the temple in Israel. It's a temple in Jerusalem. It means it's accepted by the king it's accepted by the prophets and it's accepted by the, my next P word? Priests. Priests, which means it's official cult. I have smelling salts. You can <laughs> Okay, but Josiah then gets the word. He finds the document, no, 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 and he goes crazy and we, yeah, and now it's only the Kaddish Baruch Hu, right? So they're doing it. Now this is, this is Egyptian. It mentions Megiddo as an enemy. 
right? The other little mud guys are also Egyptian. They mention things as enemies, right? These guys are Egyptian. It mentions them as enemies, right? This is our text, and it mentions places as enemies, and this is what's going to happen to them. It's all, and to some extent, the same thing. Now, on to the second book of Maccabees. Okay, so the events described and what we're going to, I'm going to talk about in a second is probably occur probably between 166 and 164 BCE. People like to say 165, but it's you know somewhere in there, and it's part of the Maccabean revolt. Okay, Hanukkah, right? Okay, so this is from the second book of Maccabees. Okay, um, the battle that followed, a few Jews were killed. They're Jews at this point. Right? Then a Jew from the city of Tov, a powerful cavalry soldier by the name of whatever his name was, grabbed somebody else by his cloak and started dragging him away by brute force. This is des describing, excuse me, the war. Okay, I'm going to the last paragraph because that's what's important. After the battle, Judas led his man to the town of Ad Ad Adullam. It was the day before the Sabbath, so they purified themselves according to Jewish custom and then observed the holy day. By the following day, it was urgent that they gather up all the bodies of the men who had been killed in the battle and bury them in their family tombs. But on each of the dead, hidden under their clothes, they found small images of the gods worshipped in Yamina, which the law forbids Jews to wear. Everyone then knew why these men had been killed. How Ma'alot Massacre-like is that? Right? It's exactly the same thing. Why was the Ma'alot massacre? Because the, the, the mezuzahs were in kosher. Okay? But what's really uber cool is that during the Maccabean revolt, the Jewish, and at this point I'll call them Jews, right? Because they're no longer Israelite, now they're actually Jews. The Jewish soldiers are wearing talismans. They're wearing amulets. So we have an amulet here. The writer on this may or may not be King Solomon. Um, it has been identified as King Solomon. He is spearing right, a female demon. I, I took the picture from a book, so that's why it's so fuzzy. Um, but he's spearing a female demon. And on the back of it, there's an inscription that says, um, the seal of God. Right? So you have these sorts of amulets. We've discussed this one right, any number of times. Has everybody heard of the, uh, a discussion of this or do you want a brief discussion? Yes. Yes. Brief discussion or you've heard it? Brief, wait. Brief, okay, fine. So what you have here is one of two small silver amulets that were found in a burial context in Israel, in Ketav Hinnom, they date to the 8th century BCE. And again, just like those soldiers who have amulets, this amulet is found in a death context, in a tomb context. This is what one of them looks like when it is unrolled. They're small silver amulets. Uh, they have the name of God written on them at least three times. This is the ineffable name, the, the so-called tetragram. Um, that is God's name. And here is 
right? Here's a picture of the amulet, right? Here and here. Here's a transcription of the amulet. And then here's the text written out in Hebrew letters, what they would look like to us today rather than in the old script. And here is the translation of the amulets in part. The smaller one reads, Rest ben, ben Yahu, and away God, be awake for him. God bless you, may she keep you. God make his face shine upon you, may she give you peace. And the text on the larger amulet reads, uh, the Lord bless you, she keep you, the Lord make her face shine upon you. Right? So this is the tripartite blessing of the Birkat Kohanim, the so-called priestly blessing that we have in the book of Numbers. But again, this is an amulet that was found in a burial context. They were found rolled up. There were two of them that were found. Right? We don't know if they were worn. We don't know if they were sewn in the clothing. We don't know if somebody just threw them in. Right? We don't know anything about it, but we know that these were found in situ. This is very similar in many ways to what is described in the book of Maccabees. Right? But you also have here sort of the power of the Birkat Kohanim, the priestly blessing, and its relation to death, which is uh, also quite interesting, but we've discussed that a couple of times. And this is the oldest text ever found, right? The Gezer, the, no, the Gezer calendar yeah. is, is older. We now have some seals that are older, but this is the oldest piece of text that has a good parallel to the Bible, but it's not exact. Right? But of course, that speaks to the fact that the Bible, until it's canonized, is very, very fluid in what is the same and what is different. Mike, you look like you had a question. Well, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that, that uh, there are artifacts from other civilizations in the Canaan area before the 8th century. Yes. But there aren't any Israelite artifacts. Yes. So it's just strange that, that one exists and the other doesn't. Yes, and what Dever probably also said when he was here is that what's also, it depends upon what type of audience he's speaking to. What is also strange is that once you get into a good Israelite context, there is no change in material culture. So those dolls that you were showing us that had the execrations on were Canaanite. Were no, Egyptian. those are Egyptian. Those are Egyptian. Those are Egyptian. Much, yes, yes. They're Middle Kingdom, so that's you know like a hundred years, a thousand years, more than a thousand years, um, earlier than that. But what I showed them not only because that's what they did, but but it lists the name of some of the cities that are in, but what becomes the Bible lands. Yeah, Ari. But this is Israelite. This is Israelite, and this is Hebrew. Okay, now the next thing that I'm going to show you is another type of amulet. It's significantly later. This is a medical amulet. This is post-biblical. This is from the time of the Talmud. And this is an amulet that is to prevent fever. Okay, it's photographed from the back because it's incised, so you, you, know, you can't really see it. You can see it punched out. And then the... Um, the photo was reversed, and again, I, could, I took this picture from a book. There is no name of the person here. You would expect a name, you know, please protect so-and-so, please, or something like that, which leads us to believe that this was a mass-produced amulet. 
right? That it, was, it wasn't necessarily for a particular individual. It was off the rack. Some of them, <coughs> some of the curses that um, we'll probably look at on Sunday are uh, mass produced with a blank. So you can feel like when you buy a ketubah, Right, you can buy ketuba, you know, and, and then they'll fill in they'll fill in all the information. So you have it, you have spells and you have protecting amulets and you have curses where you have them and then there's a blank and you'll add a name. Right? Because you have people who are writing them. I think it's kind of cool. And this one um, is as I said to prevent fever because fever is very frightening because you don't know where it comes from and it kills. And what's also interesting is that it is written twice. Right, because it's reduplicated, because it'll be more powerful if you say it the second time. Right, now we're going into the whole idea of magic bowls. We spoke about those, I made reference to them in the very beginning. You'll see that the magic bowls are written very frequently in circles. Often they'll have a demon or something inside. Everyone that has been found in an archaeological context, everyone that has been found in an archaeological context, has been found upside down, right? The thinking is that that way when the demons or the bad spirits come up from the underworld, they will be trapped and it will be like, a, you know, it's, it's a demon trap, sort of like a mouse trap, right? They can be buried at the corners of the homes, they can be buried under the marital bed, they were really great gifts for the newlyweds uh, because you put it under the bed and it will trap or it will attract and trap all the bad things. Now, we have them in Biblical Aramaic and Talmudic Aramaic. We have them in uh, some of the Christian dialects. We have them through the period of the Talmud in Aramaic in a variety of dialects. They seem to have been used by Jews, Christians, and pagans alike. It's something that they all did. The next picture is just a sort of a, um, a drawing of what the inside of one of them would look like because you're wrapping around this, this demon. And I think he's very, very cute looking with his little ears and things. He doesn't look so bad to me. Now, <clears throat> the next one is quite unusual because it asks for economic success. There is no demon here. Right? I adjure you, angels of profit and angels of business affairs. You, and then there's MGLGLGL, the great prince of the world. And the name of Yoel, right? this is clearly a Jewish one, the MGLGLG is not a name that we know at all. It could be a made-up name, it could just sound like a demonic name. We don't know that, but Yoel, we, we've got that one. The name of Yoel, the great prince of the world, right? Yoel is a reduplication of God's name, right? El and Yo are both names of our God. Yoel is God-God, right? Um, the great prince of the world, you shall lead and assemble and gather together and seek and bring to my door and to my entrance and to my gate, I, Wartan, son of Mirani, right? So again, it's a please God, you know, make me prosperous in business. It's when we bless, when we bless a new month, right? We want it to be good for, you know, for parnassah, for livelihood, as well as other things. This is the same thing that we're doing, only we're doing it with a, a, a bowl rather than just in the synagogue. The next one is in Mandaic. Um, 
and you can see that the script is somewhat different. This one is written not in a spiral, but it's written in panels. Right, got a panel here, you got you know, different panels. Uh, and you still have your demon in the middle. It's a very long text, um, but it talks about different things that are going on, right? So this is panel one. Negre daughter of so-and-so, um, and from her male son, I have heard and the voice of the weak of the men who are fighting, the raging women who curse and afflict and cause pain that they have descended against them, this one and that one and the other one. Um, Parel, the great and there's a whole bunch of names, who cares, right? Seize them and by the tufts of their hair, their tresses of the heads and break their horns which are high and tie them the tufts of their hair, right? So these are all sorts of curses. Remove that which you have cursed. Right? So these again, it, it's a spell right, to perpetuate whatever or to, to do whatever you need done. The next couple are this, there are five that look like this. They're skulls found in jars. We have five, none of them have an archeological context. So we don't know really what that means. It's very, very, here's another picture. Very, 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 very odd. Now, you can say to me, well, can't you do some sort of carbon testing? Well, of course you can. You can date the skull. You can date the pot. Right? No problem with that. But it doesn't mean you can date the writing on the skull or the, 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 the so-called marriage of the skulls and the pot. So you don't know, we do not know anything about these. It is not usual for Jews or Christians to use bones as part of anything except proper veneration. Right? Relics, it would, could even be included in that. We don't do things like that. Right? But as I said, there are five of them. These are either protective or cursing. And sometimes it's a very, very, very fine line. Okay, so the last, I think this is the last slide. Yes, the last slide for today. Isn't this wonderful? <coughs> I had to end with something that was naked. Right? Okay. So, you, <laughs> she's just wonderful. It's a small effigy of a woman. Um, it's dated to the 3rd or 4th century CE, it's about this big. Uh, kneeling, her feet are tied together, her arms are bound behind her back. The pictures that I have of her back aren't as, as nice. Um, she is pierced with 13 pins or nails, one on the top of her head, one in the mouth, one in each eye and each ear, one in the solar plexus, one in the vagina, one in the anus, and one in the palm of each hand and the sole of each foot. It was then wrapped in an inscribed lead tablet and sealed in a pot. You would think that this is voodoo. You would think that this is the most <coughs> unbearable curse in the world, right? Do this to this horrible woman. Do this to this horrible demon. Ready? Lead whoever whom so-and-so bore the daughter of such-and-such such to me. Prevent her from eating and drinking until she comes to me. Right? And then my name, right? And do not allow her to have experience with another man except me alone. 
drag her by her hair, by her guts, until she does not stand aloof from me. This is a love charm. Okay, wow. It is Valentine's Day. It is, it is Valentine's Day coming up. This is a love This is a love charm. Oi. Okay, and this is, I mean, it's my favorite one just because it, the image that comes with it is so wonderful. But there's a real question when we look at the execrations, when we look at the spells, when we look at the omens. Is this a curse? Right? I don't know that it's a curse. It's not a blessing, right? It's not may the Lord protect and defend you, right? May he always shield you from shame, right? It's not the, you know, the blessing from Fiddler. It's not a blessing, but it's not a curse. This woman, is, is, pardon me? For the yeah. woman it is. Well, it, it's, it's not necessarily, because does he want this stuff to happen to her? No, he wants her to be Right, he doesn't want this to happen to her. He wants her as his wife, and until she loves me, Right, bind her up in this way. Oh, and some of them, some of them are just fantastic. Don't let them eat. Don't let them drink. May he not defecate for a month. Right? It's just, I mean, they're just marvelous, marvelous, really, really bizarre things. And these are curses, but they are wishes. And wishes, in effect, are blessings. Right? They're prayers. They're petitions. Right? They're no different than please give us rain. Right? Please give me this. Please, please let me pass the test. Please make her love me. Right? So we have these sorts of omens and execrations. They are very different in the Bible than they are in the surrounding world. The surrounding world is, and this is, this is um, Hellenistic Egypt, the surrounding world is much more, shall we say, earthy but that is also because we have the information rather than just the texts. Right? Because again, what we know is from the texts and a little bit from the archaeology. What we know about them is a great combination of both the archaeology and the texts. Questions? Four slides back, you mentioned it was written. Four slides back, wait. The one with the writing on and you mentioned what language it was in. Yeah. That one? one there, that's, there. That's, that's, that is Aramaic, but it is a dialect of Aramaic called Mandaic, the <laughs> script and the dialect. Like the oh, Syriac, what, it's all from the same area, which right? Is, which is uh, Israel, Syria, that area, what we call Syria, Palestine. Murray? So it's, it's, it's written in some Semitic script. It's Aramaic. It is Aramaic. It is Aramaic. Mandaic is a dialect of Aramaic, just as Californian is a dialect <laughs> of English. <laughs> Murray was trying to ask a question. With that female, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine either. <laughs> Correct. Without exposing him to that image. Because once he's exposed to that image, it's hard for me to imagine. You have also right, you have all sorts of images that are bound um, in 
in Greece, in Rome, you have them as far away as Roman Britain. So you have them from Hellenistic Egypt through to Roman Britain, right? Which is a long period of time. And it's the, the ones, it's great, the ones in Roman Britain are very, very um, staid. Dear Mercury, make her love in me, please. Your love and kisses the stiff upper lipped Brit, right? And they're very, very staid. And the ones from uh, Rome, Rome, and Greece are, and Egypt are like this. They're hot, they're steamy, they're full of emotion. The, the, the ones from Roman Britain are very, very different. It's the weather. Right? It's the weather, yeah. When you showed us the amulet from the 8th century that, with the trifold yep. priestly blessing, you said it's the first time we have something with text that parallels our, our own. Text. Yeah. However, in your opening lecture, you said something that really, really bugged the shit of you, yeah. Yeah, because you said that our priestly blessing is parallel to um, a Egyptian. Blessing. Yeah. So, which, and I thought it was unique to us, so that really bothers me that it's not ours, that it's, we borrowed the text from somebody else. But, but why, so then why is it unique? So how do we know that this isn't just... Because uh, this is... Because this is... Right, but he, uh, correct. No, no. The Egyptian text is from 2050 BCE. Okay? From 2050 BCE? We don't have, there's, none, there's no us from 2050 BCE. <laughs> Right, um, and it's and it's part of a another text, right? And it's very parallel. This is the next step in that, right? But this is clearly in what we would consider an Israelite context. So this was taken. Are you saying that this is the first time we took something from? No, I'm saying that this is the first witness. This is the first physical thing that we, the oldest physical thing that we have. That is, that, that it reflects our tradition in writing that also parallels into the Torah. Because as if, you, if you remember, this is not the same. Neither of these amulets, nor the way it's recorded in the Dead Sea text, is exactly the same as what we have in the Bible. So the Bible has, rendition, has a rendition. These are two more renditions, and the Dead Sea Texts has yet another rendition. So there are four renditions of what ultimately becomes, right, the priestly blessing, right? But its expansive and contracting blessings are not unusual. What remains the same is the structure, the, the, the tripartite use of God's name, right, and the way it formulates. Well, it's, it's no, but you don't you don't look at it that way. It's a right. We look at it. We want innovation in the ancient world. Innovation was not a positive thing. You're building on something. You know, I remember when my when I was a kid, my parents were you know refurnishing, and they were into antiques, and now they're quite valuable. What my parents purchased, and my grandfather was apoplectic. Why do you have to buy old stuff? Can't you get new stuff? Can't you afford new stuff? And it's like, yeah, well, right? It's, it's, it's similar and different all at the same time. Yeah? Is a mezuzah that we put on the doorpost or wear an amulet? Yes. We were told growing up that they weren't amulets. That they weren't we amulets? Do that kind of oh, so thing. what were you told that they were? <laughs> they were? Art. Art. No, not art. <laughs> no, because an amulet 
growing up, we always thought of as superstitious. Yeah. And of course it is. Yeah, uh, Stupidstitious, as my niece would say. Isn't the yard but we were, we were told the that what went on the door was a commandment and not a thing to bring you luck or anything like that. Well, it is, you are commanded to put it, whatever it is, right, on your doorposts. No question. Right. But right, just like you're supposed to put a tota foot, you know, uh, on, on the on the 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 the, 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 of the, 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 the you know between your eyes. What the heck is a tota foot? Yeah, right. That's my that's my, my real my real big pet peeve. It's I have a phylactery statement, right? If you don't know what tefillin are, the word phylacteries isn't going to help you. <laughs> right? But but it's not. Hey, but come on. And and what are phylacteries? What does the word mean? It's a yeah. It's something that protects. But that's not what we were told. We weren't told that it was there to protect us, that if we didn't put it there, there would be a curse. You have a Shaddai. Mezuzahs have Shaddai on them, right? Shomer Dlatot Yisrael. Guarding the doorposts of Israel. Well, so I have to go back and find my dead No, 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 no. Look, you. I have neighbors who aren't Jewish who put them on their door. Oh, and in Teaneck, they put them on the garage doors. I mean, the outside garage doors. It's ludicrous, right? You're not supposed to put them on places of work. You go down the city streets in Manhattan and you see mezuzahs on the doors. You are not supposed to put them on the door. The car mezuzahs, right? Wearing them. I mean, we never wore them, right? My grandmother kept one for luck. But, but the Bible, you know, the, the, you are, you are supposed to put these words right, on, on, on your arms, on your head, on your doorposts, right? But that doesn't make it into necessarily a mezuzah, right? Biblically, okay? If you look at the mezuzah, at the, at the tefillin, for, you know what tefillin look like now? Right? Everybody knows, does everybody know what they, they look like little boxes, right? Right. Okay. But if you look at the Dead Sea Tefillin, I can't. I don't have the interwebs here. If you look at the Dead Sea Tefillin, they look very different. They almost look like painters, a painter's box. They're about this big, and it's got four little compartments, right next to each other. You know, like you used to get little paint things when you were a kid. That's what it looks like. Well, which are the right Tefillin? Right. There are all sorts of different types of Tefillin. The Sephardi Tefillin, the 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 North African Tefillin, right? Which are Teensy, 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 tiny. Teensy, tiny, right? And there's other Sephardi tefillin that's like, you know, like this size. There's Rabbeinu Tam and there's, there's Rashi tefillin. There are all sorts of different types of things. I guess other the question questions. Is, aren't these whatever they are? The amulets? Yeah. Of course they're amulets. And so the Bible has taken the concept of amulets and says you can't do it unless you do it this way? That's right. But the Bible isn't saying that you can't use amulets. The Talmud is saying that. That's a different. That's a different. That's a different thing. The Bible isn't actually necessarily discussing amulets. It says that you should have certain types of amulets. The Talmud says that, and this is in, in everything. That, and this is what we were talking about in the mold one, in our first of these Wednesdays, in the mold thing. You can only do it if it's out. If it's within this box, it's kosher. Right? So that when God brings the mold, that's what it means, right? But you can't go to the mold reader. Remember that from three weeks ago? 
right? You can't go to the mold reader. It's the same thing, but you have to do it in this line, not in this line. Right? Because it's to, it's to keep the community together in that way. That's part of what's going on in a lot of the, in a lot of the text. Oh, the Talmud uses a lot of amulets. The Talmud uses a lot of amulets, but they're but they're they're, they're God amulets. And you have all sorts. If you go to the if you go to different museums, you have all sorts of talismans and amulets from you know the the early periods of Judaism through the Talmud. Look at the one that I just showed you about the fever, right? That's a Jewish amulet. You have many of them.